Good morning. Uh, well, can I just say it's lovely to be here. Uh, but let's um, turn to our reading first, which is from uh, Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. At least that's what I'm going to be talking on, so I trust that's uh, what uh, the church here are hoping for. Right, so that's Matthew 22, verse 34. The greatest commandment. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So this morning, uh, we are going to be continuing, as Lou said at the beginning, the series in uh, loving, uh, learning to love. And we should have something on the screen. Anything happen? Oh, it's up there. Right. Oh, sorry. It's not up there. Right. Okay. Right. Yes. Yes. So the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. An expert in the law, we're told, came to Jesus and asked him the question, uh, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies from the Old Testament, reading from Deuteronomy chapter 6, where God commands his chosen people, the Israelites, to love him. Moses says in Deuteronomy, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Well, wait a minute. Can you command someone to love? Can you make a law that says you have to love someone? Surely love has to come spontaneously from our hearts, what we feel, doesn't it? Well, that obviously depends on what we understand by the word love and how Jesus is using the word. And clearly, here, Jesus is not using love in that way. Well, he's certainly not talking about our emotions or our feelings. When Jesus talks about loving God, and indeed loving our neighbor, first and foremost, this is an act of the will. This is an act of obedience. We determine that we will love God and that we will love our neighbor. In John chapter 14, Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then a few verses later, he sort of says it the other way around. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, 
is the one who loves me. So if we love Jesus, we will or should obey his commandments. If we have his commandments and obey his commandments, we will show that we love him. So there's a lot here to do with obedience. So how do we obey this command to love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind? In John, uh, the, the epistle of John, John chapter 3, we get one of my favorite verses. It says, See what love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. I think that's a wonderful verse. And then in 1 John uh, chapter 4, the next chapter, we read, We love because he first loved us. Because he first lavished his love upon us. So our love for God is surely, first and foremost, a response to his amazing love for us. Those well-known verses in Romans, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So surely, we must begin to obey this command to love God by showing our overwhelming gratitude to God. We've just been celebrating Easter, haven't we? Remembering how Jesus went willingly to the cross. But why? Well, because he loved us. Because he knew that this was the only way that our broken relationship with our creator God could be restored. What was it that held the Lord Jesus to that cross? Was it the nails, O Saviour, that bound thee to the tree? Nay, t'was thine everlasting love, thy love for me, for me. One day, uh, Jesus had been invited to the home of a well-to-do Pharisee by the name of Simon. And uh, you may well remember the story whilst he was there. <clears throat> a woman came in who clearly had a disreputable past, and this was known to Simon. Uh, but um, she was overcome with gratitude and love for Jesus. She poured ointment onto his feet. She washed them with her tears. She wiped them with her hair. And Simon is very critical of this woman's actions feeling that Jesus should have realized uh, what sort of person she'd been. But Jesus turns to Simon and tells him a story. A story of two men who'd been forgiven debts by a moneylender. One of them with a pretty large amount, and the other one with relatively little. And he asks Simon, which of the two 
will love the moneylender the most? And Simon, rather grudgingly, <laughs> uh, replies, I suppose, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. And he goes on to say, whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. My friends, we have been forgiven so much, haven't we? Surely, we should love God with that same generous love, with hearts overflowing in gratitude for all that Jesus has done for us. Now, just before we go any further, let's be quite clear. We don't love God in order to be forgiven and accepted by him. It's because we have been forgiven by him that we come to him. And if we've come to him and confessed our sin and asked for his forgiveness and are trusting in the Lord Jesus, then we're accepted by God. We're loved by him. And because of that, we want to show our love and our gratitude to him. And then secondly, if Jesus gave his all for us, surely, shouldn't we also be prepared to just give up everything for him? Think of the cost of Jesus' sacrifice. So loving God with all our heart and soul and mind means giving costly sacrifice for God. But what does our love for God cost us? When does, God, when does anything that I do for God actually cost me anything? What does it cause me to sacrifice? You remember there was a, a very upright, commandment-keeping keep, ruler who came to Jesus asking what he must do to gain eternal life. He'd kept all the rules, Mark said, said tells us in his gospel. But Jesus looked at him and loved him. I like that. It's a lovely phrase, isn't it? Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And we're told at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus knew that this man loved his wealth, his possessions, more than he loved Jesus. For this man, the sacrifice was too great. I wonder what's keeping you and me this morning from loving God with our whole being. What costly sacrifice might he be causing you or me or asking you or me to make? We've had the enormous privilege recently in Above My Church of welcoming a number of Iranian asylum seekers to the church and uh, even of uh, baptizing a number of them. But to hear their stories is very humbling. Here are young men who've chosen to follow Jesus. They want to love him with all their heart and mind and soul. But it's meant that they've had to flee for their lives once the authorities have got wind of where their secret meeting places are. 
And some of them have had to leave behind wives and children. Wives who've sent them on their way, go, they've said, you must go. Some of them have left behind large houses, lots of land, good cars, good professions, everything in order to follow Jesus, to love God with all their hearts and soul and mind. <clears throat> Sorry. Sometimes think it is so easy, isn't it, for us to stand at the end of a service and sing, all to Jesus I surrender, all to thee I freely give. Do we? Would we be prepared to do what some of these people have had to do? And then thirdly, if we're to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, then we have to give him our unconditional love. You may remember on one occasion, there were three people that came to Jesus, and the first claimed to be willing to go with him uh, anywhere that he wanted. He said, I'll go with you anywhere, Jesus. Uh, but it appears that it was dependent on having some decent lodgings. Uh, and then the other two, they said, well, we're willing to follow. Uh, but first, hmm. well, one wanted first to go and bury his father, who the commentators tell us probably hadn't even died yet. Um, and then the other wanted, to, well, he wanted a proper send-off from his family. Willing to follow Jesus, but on their own terms, on their own conditions. What about us? Do we have conditions? Oh, Lord, I'll love you with my whole heart and mind and soul. If only, if only. When things go well, perhaps when God answers my prayers in the way that I want, then I'm filled with love for him. Oh, God has, God's answered. My dear friends, God always answers. But if he chooses to answer in a different way, maybe you find it much harder. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The expert in the law had come to Jesus and asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law? But uh, as we know, Jesus didn't stop with the one command. He added an equally important second part. And this time from Leviticus, again in the Old Testament, the Old Testament law, love your neighbor as yourself. So what should our response to this second command be? Uh, some of you may have seen the Charlie Mackesy um, cartoon, animated film about the boy, the mole, the horse and the fox. It was on the television over Christmas and it was on the other evening, I noticed. In this story, when the boy uh, and the mole first beat the fox, they're very afraid of him, especially the mole, who could have been eaten in one mouthful. But in spite of that, when a little while later, uh, they hear um, a cry for help, and then they see the fox is caught in a trap, the mole, though very, very scared, very bravely, goes up to him and bites through the cord that ties the fox to the trap and releases him. The fox slinks away, and he doesn't eat the mole. 
But when, a little later on in the story, the mole falls into the river and is in great danger of drowning, well, who is it that comes to his rescue? <laughs> well, it's the fox. His overwhelming gratitude to the, um, to the mole overflowing in reaching out to help him. And our overflowing gratitude to God for all he's done for us should surely overflow in love for our neighbor. One behind. And one of the most well-known stories in the Bible is that story that Jesus told in answer to the question, well, who is my neighbor? The story we call the Good Samaritan. And you remember how a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. He'd been robbed and left for dead. And after two people who should have known better had just passed by, a foreigner, a man from a neighboring hated people group, the Samaritans came by. And the first thing that we read about this man was that when he saw the man who'd been robbed, he had compassion. He was moved. But he then went over to him. He reached out to him. He wanted to do something for him. He bandaged up the man's wounds, put him on his own donkey, took him to an inn, paid for him to stay there, promising to pay any further bills when he returned. If we truly love our neighbor as ourselves, then we should also be willing, shouldn't we, to make costly sacrifices for them. It cost the Samaritan money, obviously. He paid for him. But it must have cost him time, too. I'm sure his nice, clean robe didn't look quite so clean after he'd been to the man and bandaged him up and uh, done all these things to him. And, uh, well, he may have been late for an appointment in Jericho, might have cost him a business appointment. We don't know. We don't know what he was going for. Could well have cost him his reputation with his fellow Samaritans. What were you doing? Helping a Jew. Could have cost him his life. I mean, the robbers may still have been lurking around. They could have killed him too. We can only speculate, but we certainly know that it was costly. It was a costly sacrifice for the Samaritan to show love to the Jew. How often have you and I heard of needs in our church family or around us? And uh, we've been quite moved by it. And uh, yes, but then how quickly we, we just forget about it. Or, or we make excuses for ourselves, don't we? Well, oh, I think so-and-so is better placed to, to um, help in this situation than I am. Or... Um, well, I would do, but it's a bit difficult, and, and perhaps not at the moment, or, or maybe later, and so on. We just make so many excuses. Happy to help if it doesn't involve too many sacrifices. I ask myself, when has my love for my brothers and sisters actually cost me very much? And then thirdly, the Samaritan's response Likewise, was that of unconditional love. 
There's no hint in the story that the man who'd been robbed was expected to pay back the Samaritan, was there? Uh, <clears throat> his help wasn't conditional on the man being of the same ethnicity or of the same social class or any other condition. He reached out to the man in unconditional love. It's so hard, isn't it, to do things so that, uh, or on condition that, people will perhaps think better of us or... I wonder when we last invited someone for a meal or for coffee or tea, and, but we knew they were never going to be able to uh, invite us back. But the Samaritan's love was unconditional love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commands, said Jesus. But can we? Can we do it? Or has the bar been set too high? We can try to. We can, yes, intend to. But can we do it? My friends, this is a command. But if you're sitting there and despairing, thinking I'm never going to be able to attain to this, it's not possible, can I reassure you? It isn't. We can't. We can't do it. But then you say, well, surely God wouldn't ask us to do something that it's not possible to do. Well, yes and no. <laughs> you remember the conversation, maybe, that Jesus had with his disciples after that rich ruler uh, had gone away, sorrowful because of his great riches. Jesus looked around. I'm reading now from Mark chapter 10. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his worth. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, words that many of you know well, with man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. You see, if we think that we can love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and our neighbor as ourselves, and we go out from here this morning and we decide that we're going to try harder, then I have to tell you that you're as doomed to failure as you would be trying to shove a camel through the eye of a needle. You're not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. It's not a case of trying harder. We cannot do it on our own. But that's not quite the end of the story. Uh, John T. Alcock, uh, who some of you might know, he's the 
minister of the Globe Church in London and son of Paul Orcock, who comes to Baba, has written a book, and it's called Impossible Commands. And uh, two of the commands that John T. highlights are actually these two. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says they're impossible. We can't do them. But of course, he doesn't stop there. There is hope. He points out that we must always start by realizing and admitting our own total inability to obey God's commands. We just can't do it. But then he suggests three further steps. And the first, well, the first is to say, I can't, to realize we can't do it. And then the second, to say, I'm sorry. Father, forgive me that I fail so often and I just can't do it. And so often I don't want to do it. But then the third, please help me. Help me, Lord. In another part of uh, Charlie Mackersy's book, uh, the, uh, <coughs> uh, the fox, uh, the fox, the horse, the bo- and the boy, uh, the boy asks the horse, what is the bravest thing that you've ever done? And the horse replies, asked for help. Asking for help is not weak. Asking for help from the Lord is not a weak thing to do. It's where we get our strength. It's what it's all about. And God is waiting. He's waiting this morning. He's waiting for us to give him the opportunity to work through us. If only we'll reach out and ask him, what might he do in enabling us to go out from here glorifying God, praising him for all that he's done, willing to give ourselves in sacrificial love to him and to those around us unconditionally because he loved us with unconditional love. The fourth thing is simply go and do it. Let's go, says John T. Get on with it. Do it. But in God's strength, not in our own. Let's just have a moment to ponder and to think about these things. Then I'll pray. Our Father God, we want to come to you this morning and we want to say that we can't. We can't obey your commands. We can't love you with all our heart and soul and mind and our neighbor as ourselves in our own strength. Forgive us, Lord, for trying so often and failing. But Lord God, help us this morning to come to you and to ask again for your help. Fill us afresh with your spirit. Empower us by his might. Enable us to go from here in your power to love you and to love our neighbor as ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.